Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to three, a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic through to the Australian Open semifinal, where he has never lost past this point. He has never lost an Australian Open after winning the quarters, which he did last night against Taylor Fritz. Uh, so we're going to go through kind of Novak's tournament, talk about the Fritz match a little bit more in depth, and then we will preview his semifinal upcoming against Yannick Sinner, which is going to be such a barn burner. Um, but it didn't start all too smooth for, for Novak. And it was another story of early round major survival for, and I think we've seen it with all of the big three at certain points where sometimes early in a slam first week, a lot of things might not be going right or perfectly and for Djokovic it was some lingering effects of the right wrist and the forehand not doing all that well and the the illness that he's been dealing with but the difference between him and maybe a lot of the other 128 players in the draw is when all these things are going wrong you still find a way to win that's what Djokovic did early Amy he plays himself into form better than anyone on the planet and he manages to survive no matter what he's up against i know he had a respiratory infection and was blowing his nose some that's got to be miserable to deal with when you're trying to play a high level tennis match but he figured it out he put the tissue in his pocket um he he escaped some situations and i had said on the last podcast that i thought he needed to be efficient and not give up sets early on um i'm probably wrong about that because uh watching him round into form he looks um about as good as he can look heading into the center match yeah he put the tissue in one pocket he put tail fritz in the other one i mean to <laughs> can play so um smoothly i mean you can't we're gonna have to start looking up other adjectives but i think i was particularly impressed i know this sounds lame but the return to serve Fritz is a big server and novak i mean the deep middle return it's so funny it seems so elementary and yet he's able to hit it early and we'll be talking about return of serve in the in the course of this show early and hard and then deep and it just completely redirects the flow of the point and you could see how that kind of demoralized Fritz, uh, right? To see that serve come back with that that depth in particular. So uh, just changes things. And it's just, yeah, it's impressive to see. And here he is. I mean, I don't know. What's, what do you guys think is more edifying or engaging, seeing how Nadal has presided over Roland Garros or Novak in Australia? I mean, it's it's hard to compare the two. Oh, of um, course. But they're each... They're each tremendous oh yeah no i i think that and i said this i think last year when djokovic hit double digits there was a time where i don't think those two things were in the same conversation right in general discourse and now i think they absolutely should be 
it, it's not just when you think domination at a slam, it shouldn't just be Nadal, Roland Garros. I think Djokovic, Australian Open needs to be there. I mean, he's, he's 20 and 0 after he wins the quarterfinals. It, it's insane um, how, how efficient he's been at the end of the tournament, which I think as we've seen has been kind of the determining factor when it comes to how well um, the, the numbers end up being, right? Like that's the difference between Australian Open and US Open for Novak. It's not so much that in New York, he doesn't end up making deep runs. It's really just about the frequency in which he finishes the runs. And that's where Australia has literally been perfection. I, that's a great question, Joel. I think it depends on, it's a matter of opinion. What What is your style preference? Do you enjoy the art of clay? Um, maybe where the serve and return are, are mitigated a little bit and aren't quite as important? Or do you like a, a dominating serving and returning performance like the ones that, have, that Novak has given over the years? Great, great thoughts on that. And I also think that Novak has kind of christened the significance of the Australian Open because Nadal was walking in on clay that had been trod upon before by people like Borg and Manolo Santana and other great clay quarters. There's a long tradition of Roland Garros being an event of significance. Australia, while it was considered a major, wasn't always a, as high a major as other ones. And Roy Emerson won it six times on grass and a pre-open era, but it kind of, its identity and significance, I mean, I think in, a, in an odd way, this is, may sound strange to say, it's kind of usurped what the U.S. Open once was. The U.S. Open was the closing hardcourt reward all playing styles, and now you see, I mean, the quality of this tennis on this hardcourt, and I know I, I was, I've been raised on hardcourts, and I enjoy hardcourt tennis, I like the other surfaces too, but the quality of the tennis over the course of this tournament has just been tremendous. Everybody talks about the the length of the season, and this is where we're coming off of an off-season fresh. Players, I think, are more fit because they did their, their kind of building, their off-season fitness building, and now they come in here ready to go. So I I agree. Although for Djokovic, it, it didn't feel like, and it hasn't in recent years in Australia, again, like, okay, uh, the health is great. The form is great right off the bat, right? We remember that in 2021. Remember, we remember that last year with the hamstring. It, the story of Djokovic's last three years in Australia, and I guess you know this this year's chapter is yet to really fully be written, but it's about getting through when things are not actually falling into place. Joel, what do you think the key to that is? Why do, why doesn't he he get upset by a Dino Prismich or an Alexi Popperin in the first two rounds when when so many things are working against him? Well, not that because because he's because he's won it a bunch and he knows he's better than those guys and he just has to take the time to figure it out. And this gets to sort of the other my other Socratic inquiry. Okay, Nadal has dominated the clay and he's had this much distance between himself and his clay rivals. He's had moments of being contested but he's kind of obliterated them many times. Lots of guys can play well on hard courts. So their theoretical distance between themselves and Novak, as we saw in the first round of this tournament, isn't that far. So yet, I mean, it kind of, was, what's what's more impressive? Dominance by killing, I'm not, I'm not arguing against Nadal, I'm not arguing for Novak, I'm just trying to grapple with this. And I think he 
I think he's just knows he has such faith in himself and his process and his fitness. And he has more tools. Yeah, I wrote this before the tournament. I thought, who's going to ask the most questions of Novak truly? Who's going to innovate? And what's that going to be? I mean, that's why we're excited to see innovation from Sinner in the form of power and increased transition skills. I actually think in the quarterfinal, we saw Fritz um, get pushed to that place where he he did add some things that maybe if Novak Djokovic wasn't still here pushing him, he, he wouldn't have done these things. But the forehand drop shot, much improved. The backhand slice, it looked more competent than I've ever seen out of him. The obvious opportunities to come forward, he took them. Uh, but then also just the the baseline bread and butter of his game that's always been there. He trusted it. He relied upon it, and it was really good. Forehand, big swings, big power, uh, never holding back. Backhand down the line, quick to pull the trigger on that shot. Uh, that, that was really good. But Joel, uh, you mentioned the return of serve right away. And here's the stat, guys, that's just incredible about sets three and sets four. Uh, that that illuminates just how dominant Djokovic's return was. If you take Fritz's serve and you look at zero through four shot rallies on Fritz's serve, Djokovic won 16 to 12. That at this level with the with the big first serve in men's tennis, you almost never see that. That a guy like Taylor Fritz, huge first serve, huge forehand, he's going to lose the majority of his zero through four shot points with his serve. It just shows you that the, the serve was completely neutralized. And, and by the way, um, by the speed gun, Taylor was serving bigger, significantly so. He had a faster um, average first serve, and he had a faster highest first serve so it, it it does speak to Novak's returning prowess in this match um a, a stat that stood out to me was the breakpoint opportunities um Novak created 21 breakpoint opportunities he only converted four of those that was plenty you know but but to create 21 on a guy with the serve that big. Meanwhile, um, Taylor was only able to create six breakpoint opportunities on Novak's serve. Right, and that speaks to both the serve and the, the way it gets backed up. And again, when I look at Taylor Fritz, I so admire him and he great effort reaching the quarters. And he's a, you know, he was 12 coming in, he'll rise some. And it tells me with that serving stat from Fritz, he needs to come to net more. He's not gonna, he needs to do things to take to, to take control of these points in some different ways, but he's a reluctant net rusher, Taylor Fritz. He came in, he comes in sometimes, like, but not as much as he might. And you just see the, the seesaw. I mean, who's, who's really gonna out consistent Novak from the baseline? Consistent on the consistent, you got it. Yeah. I mean, Fritz, Fritz actually was, he was so good off the ground and he actually won statistically the majority of the five plus rallies, which uh, to me is a little bit surprising. So he won five to eight, five to eight, but no, Novak and, and actually nine plus. won nine plus. Yeah, but, yeah, but if you, I'm just talking about, I'm talking about five okay. plus. Okay, okay, um, I see. I, yeah, yeah. I see. Five, five plus, Fritz had the edge by, by three or four points 
Uh, but Djokovic okay. just... My, I thought the biggest part of this performance was Djokovic's serve and his return. That's that's the, the that's great. Yeah, that's the game, right? What that's always the two games in tennis: the serve game and the return game. And he just knows, you know, his serve. Yeah, he's been out MPH many times in matches, right? By certain servers, that's not his. He doesn't even try to win that battle, right? And so he knows, but his ability to then his second shots, his how he commands the return how i mean you see i mean i i admire the dailies out of taylor fritz and his work ethic is competitive it's just seeing those next two sets how how are you gonna how are you gonna go about winning this match just what's your what's what's gonna go what's gonna happen here how's that gonna happen i like the idea that if you're serving really well and you're serving hard but you're not winning enough of your first serve points. I like the idea of trying to do something different, you know, serve and volley, um, you know, anything different to break the rhythm. I mean, um, as a server, it's extremely aggravating when you hit about as good a serve as you can possibly hit and it comes back to you deep. That's annoying. You know, so um, just looking at the Novak, he just played so many more receiving points. He played 154 receiving points to uh, Fritz's 115. So you can just see like the he was getting into those Fritz service games and annoying and pestering. And and over time, that really adds up. Well, first two sets, O of 15 on break points. Um, I, I, this isn't surprising, but mentally talk about frustration, flip it the other way. There's nothing more frustrating than just getting 15 break points and never breaking serve. Good Go point. ahead, Joel. Hey, well, uh, you know, I'm going to this whole, the whole thing of break points, you know, you're not going to break 15 times. I get the thing of not breaking. I get the thing of being set off. Right, you said all. I've had fifteen break points. It's it would have been nice to convert one of them or two of them, right? But I think it also for the server. He's God. I'm just I'm just against it. I, okay, I'll tell you the thing that Novak. We were talking about Novak in these early rounds. Obviously, like the great the great champions are the ones less likely to push the panic button. Well, to know yeah. that time is on their side in a th in the three out of five set format in the in the two out of three. Lots can happen quickly, but the three out of five is kind of the, the long haul effort. And and Novak in Australia, akin to Rafa at Roland Garros. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was gonna say was not surprising. It's not surprising that Djokovic regrouped in in the third set and didn't let the break point stuff kind of destroy his psyche, like I think it it could have for for other players. Um, but he didn't, um, and, and you're right, Joel, he, I think he probably thought, okay, well, you know, it, it's been frustrating. Taylor played great on so many of those break points, by the way. Um, it, it really, there weren't actually that many Djokovic mistakes. If you look at the 15 break points, which is remarkable because that's a lot of points. Um, but Taylor was, was, you know, just kept coming through to save them. But yeah, I mean, there is no panic and there's a, you know, I think, I forget who took the long break after the the third set. It might have been Taylor taking the long break, but there was kind of a a break in the action, and then 
sets three and sets four, it, it just wasn't as close anymore as sets one and sets two, not even close. Part of that also was maybe the sun going down because there was some heat factor, I think, affecting Novak's energy levels in, in this one as well. Should we zoom in more, a little bit more on the serve, guys? He hit 20 aces. Uh, the ace rate in sets three and sets four against Fritz was in the 20% range, which is like John Isner level. And uh, I also noticed Adrian Manorino played both Ben Shelton and Novak Djokovic. And there were some differences in terms of the wind on that day. And obviously the, the courts were different, but Djokovic hit 130 less serves than Ben Shelton. And he hit one fewer ace. So this is again, like I'm trying to hammer this home. You look at the biggest servers in men's tennis right now, the guys who you think of, they have absolute bombs like a Ben Shelton. And on paper, Djokovic is matching, if not surpassing, the production that they are that they are achieving with the first serve. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So yet again... Yet again, Novak is kind of the ultimate research and development while making profits kind of guy, like just like how we, we've spoken before about his improved volley and his prowess to the net. Now we're looking at his serve, and maybe that's a, that's a big check mark we need to keep in track of throughout the year as this year unfolds, because obviously the older you get, the shorter you want to make the points. Mm-hmm. And so here's that's a nice tool. That's a nice thing and and his opponents so you look at that if anyone seemed less fit than in the last two sets it was taylor taylor was the one who was kind of wearing down because when you're set all and you're a good 10 years younger than your favorite opponent and feel like more more like out of ideas less less ideas like i was like again i'm thinking in those that last two sets all right you've raised questions where where are more of your answers Taylor, what do you got more to to disrupt Novak? And Novak's so impregnable. Yeah. Um, again, I, I think overall, though, props to Fritz. This is by far the best he's ever played against Novak. By far the the highest level Djokovic-Fritz match. Because, I mean, in, in their previous meetings, I've felt, I've felt pretty critical of Taylor. Like, okay, you're not... You're really not doing anything disruptive here and not reaching into your bag of tricks and getting creative or experimental at all. In this one, I did see some stuff. Like the forehand drop shot was constant. Like that was clearly something that he's been working on and he he wanted to implement. So I, I give a lot of credit to Taylor overall. Gil, Gil, do you think this is better than so better than the five setter they had here in Much better. Much that better. Kind of, yeah, I think so. I agree with you. For, I mean, Novak. When hurt. when Novak had the abdominal tear, yeah, yeah, because that it affected him so much, and the fifth set was was really bad from Taylor. I mean, he should have won the match. If you know, I think that was my feeling. He should have. Like Novak couldn't move to his right and hit a forehand because his oblique was messed up. Like you, you should win that match, and I think Fritz got got tight, and that's what he's kind of taken out of his game more is 
at least in the big matches against good opponents, Taylor backs himself and he doesn't get as tight. Um, now it's actually the problem for Fritz is that happening usually like in the first couple rounds of majors. But anyway, I think everybody probably at this point wants us to start talking about Yannick Sinner. Uh, has not dropped a set in this tournament, Amy. Just big picture, if you look at the the leaps that Yannick has made recently, what stands out to you about how well he's playing? Well, if you say recently, like the last year, uh, his serve is definitely improved. And I think that shows in not having dropped a set. Um, he's proven that whatever coaching change he made was correct for him and I saw an interview I think it was with Jim Courier after the match where he was basically like um, these guys that I've surrounded me with surrounded myself with are good company for me so he's just happier you know in general um, yeah and and he is approaching more as Joel alluded to earlier in the podcast um, which is great to see I saw him nail any number of great volleys off of a, a damaging approach Right, and his serve helped. He changed the pinpoint motion in 23, um, you know, which helped his serve. Doesn't necessarily help everyone's serve, but it helped him. So it's just, again, this whole improvement path, serve, forward movement, um, getting more. And then and then when you do those things more, you're re less reliant on just those ground strokes having to do that for you. And so that's why we're all kind of uh, excited about this matchup and to see the the continuing ripening of Yannick Sinner. We've we've been watching it the whole time for years and now it's yet more so in a, in his second uh slam semi. Mm -hmm. So that's that's pretty good and yeah, good stuff. Does it feel like the final? Sometimes no. we get a semifinal that feels like the final. No. No. Really don't want to see that Akaraz Djokovic final. We talked about it the last time about Carlos that guy. Well, uh... And and we're about to talk about Medvedev, who I'm he's very high on my list right now for various reasons. But I don't know if I want to see another Djokovic Medvedev final. No, but but that, what about how about but uh, Djokovic Alcaraz final is the one we talked about. Remember when we got in the kind of the friendly squad? Who would you rather play in the finals? So I, I think this no, I think the Sinner Djokovic to me is more like the conference championship game in American okay. football terms. I think I don't think it's quite I don't think Sinner has quite reached the stage. He hasn't won a major yet. So it's not quite like, oh, the final in the semi. It's like it's a semi. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, let me let me uh build off of that. And and first of all, I've always been so enamored or, or impressed by Sinner's professionalism. I always think that there's been a desire to continuously improve. He, he's always struck me as a guy who's always making gains somewhere at every point in his mm -hmm. career, which is why I never really got impatient or antsy about his progress at any point. Uh, where he's surprised me is in the movement category. I, just because like all the stuff that he's developed, not surprised. I knew his serve was going to get better. I thought his volleys would get better. It, it was just very clear those things would happen. I never thought he'd move this well. I just didn't think he he had that. And that's what has really... Um, impressed me most about what he is right now. I mean, as someone who really covers the court very, very well, doesn't love to play defense, but it very, very able to play defense. Uh, but I think the big question in this, in this match is about the, the pedigree center one major semifinal didn't win a set. So 
and, and that's it. That's the resume in terms of going deep at slams. So mentally, and obviously that was against Djokovic at Wimbledon, I think the game is there, but how big is the gap mentally because Yannick hasn't come through these situations ever before? And that's the big difference between him and Alcaraz. Carlos has already done this, gone all the way, forget semis, gone all the way twice. Well, there's not only the mental block, but there's also the fact that this is best of five. And, you know, we talked about how Yannick has kind of breezed through the tournament. You can look at that two ways. You could say, well, that means he's fresher. And and often that does translate. Or you could say his legs haven't been tested. And, and Gil, maybe that's why he's moving so well, because he's really just playing three set matches. Let's let's see how well he's moving in, in a fifth set. Um, so you could you could look at it two ways. We'll have to see how it bears out. Um, but I do agree that his movement is much improved. Legs and minds will are guaranteed to be tested, uh, or 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 is he just becoming? Or is he just hitting a period of of grand dominance and he's gonna beat Novak two two and two? I mean, which is a scenario. That's that's a scenario is all <laughs> out there. It's, it, 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 I have arrived. The time email is, at Joel Drucker. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It has, it has happened as of it has happened. The time has come. My day has come, and that's the that's the thing with these guys. They don't. Yeah, that we we don't know. Yeah, the the experience stuff. Yeah, I mean, we know back. I don't even want to. I don't want to even know how many how many semis he's played right and his record and all that and all that stuff. And then and then from the viewer standpoint, you put those things out and we think about that. Sinner's not going to think about that. He's got a tennis match to play. He's aware of that, but it doesn't really matter. It shouldn't matter. You know, that's that's the whole logic of a tennis player. Well, it's my time. Here's my time. Now, just like when Novak, I was there in 08 when he beat Federer in the semis of this tournament. That was 16 years ago, and it was his time. Sinner mm-hmm. has lost four out of his last five five-setters, so I'm not going to say that the legs are not somewhat of a question. My hunch is that he is going to have plenty if he needs to go four and a half hours. I think the legs will be there. I think there's been so so many improvements made in that aspect. Um, but the nerves, I'm not as sure. Like, I'm not as sure that there's not going to be some big, uh, a big forehand on forced error and a tie break on a midcourt ball. That's where I'm like, okay, they, are there going to be some growing pains here against somebody who is going to make you pay for any of those growing pains. That's what happened at Wimbledon. It was an erratic forehand day. The forehand has been really, really under control in the last like three, four months after U.S. Open and beyond for Sinner. But I, I think it's almost a compliment to him because other than the, the mental side, I don't see a huge gap between him and Novak anywhere if we talk skill for skill. Um, and Sinner's like, to me, gotten into this place where there's no obvious way to attack him or obvious advantage that, that Novak clearly has in any one aspect of the game. And that's why I kind of am thinking so much about the mental right now. But do you guys agree with that? Like, I, I don't know where, I don't know where there's an obvious way to attack Sinner right now. I'd have to look at the stats. That's a really good um, observation. I noticed that in the second set of the match that he just played against Rublev um, that went to a tiebreak, 
Rublev had him in that breaker. I think he might have been up like 4-1 or something. And then some tactical mistakes by Rublev just um, hitting the ball up the middle in rallies right at center. And and center just pounced on that. So I think... Um, tactically and and also center didn't didn't um flinch when he got down in that breaker so i think um tactically you're right gil like he's that's not an area he he's got the tactics improve movement improve serve um maybe look at something with the second serve i'm not sure i lo- i think the second serve is really good but i think it used to be a weakness i think it's kind of improved with the first serve i think the return is great the forehand and the backhand are pretty even. He can defend, he can attack. The net game is good now. You can't really draw him forward. Joel, what do you do? You, do you have anything like I don't now? I th- well, also I want to know. You said the four to five. What, the last five setters, I, I believe, one at the U.S. Open, correct? And what was the one before that? Sure. So Zverev at the U.S. Open last year, really hot, humid day as well. Center, he lost his legs pretty early on in that one. Altmaier at Roland Garros. Seven oh. five in the fifth. That was, that was really an outlier bad loss for center. There haven't been a lot of those. Everybody has those. Yeah, everybody yeah. has I those. Think of, I think of twenty twenty three as center's um, sophomore year, still taking a lot of the prereqs to get into the major. You know, it's like an under. It's a, he's still kind of a little lower division, making his way through things, and it kind of got better towards the end. And now it's kind of he's in that stage where it's like. He wants to declare. I'm not saying he's going to win, but I'm saying he's he's organized himself in a nice place. And I think uh, the Wimbledon, the forehand day, even though the grass is a lot different than it used to be, it's still Wimbledon and grass. I think Wimbledon is such a we'll address more of Wimbledon in times to come. But I think Australia, I, I think one of the reasons the tennis is all so good in Australia, it's like, oh, yeah, this is what we play on most of the year. This is what we all are familiar with, kind of hard courts of various speeds of various balls, but it's a hard court. So we're kind of there. There, that's that. That's the prevailing surface in tennis these days, is is a hard court. And so he's he's kind of for a guy like Sinner who likes that pound that ball, man. I mean, who who do you think sinks Sinner harder than Del Potro? Uh, different, different, but not 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 nearly as flat. Right, but so. Yeah, but it's not near. We're, we're not talking excessively topped. I mean, I don't know the RPM rotation on Sinner's ball, but either way, just he's, action uh, and heavy on the ball. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and and you see, it just it'll be interesting to see two years from now Sinner's ball compared to where it was, let's say, last year. But uh, really, really impressed to see how he. I just hope it's a good competitive match through and through for both guys. No one gets injured. No. Uh, things that the weather doesn't excessively intrude on it. Yeah, I it it is built the build up. It feels like this is bound to be a really good match. I think what's what's pretty clear to most people is that in terms of consistency in matches start to finish, Sinner has been much better than than Djokovic. Now Novak has had some impressive finishes to his matches. The Manorino performance was really good start to finish, but Novak has had a lot of moments in these best of five set matches where, okay, he's not getting the better of the play for a certain stretch. Where Sinner, there hasn't really been a single passage of play where he's really been under sustained uh, pressure 
in, in any way that's, I mean, he hasn't lost a set, right? I would say that doesn't necessarily matter. So like, what is, what is your take, Amy, on the, the form factor? Because there are going to be people who say Sinner is clearly playing better than Novak at the Australian Open this year, and that is going to matter in the semifinal. I'm not so sure. Um, I think the, the two victories that Sinner had over Djokovic were, um, obviously anytime you can beat Novak Djokovic, that's like, whoa, you've accomplished something, but there were a little bit different circumstances. One was in this, you know, special tournament where you have, you know, different, there's a round robin and then there's the knockout. Um, and then you have Davis cup. So while I give him full credit for that, it's not like, the same thing as a victory in a grand slam. Um, well, but, and which, let me, if I ahead. can jump in, in between yeah. those two, sandwiched between those two yeah. matches was the most important match that they played, which was the right. final of the year end championship with which right. Novak won, I believe three and three. Right. Um, you know, I, from a data perspective and I love like looking for patterns and stuff within data over the course of time, I'm just really interested in, what most people do when they have hard fought matches early in these best of five Grand Slam tournaments and how their outcomes, how that translate, is there a pattern? You know, if you have to play a bunch of five set matches or four set matches early in the tournament, does that equal a, a more negative outcome toward the end of the tournament? And what's the difference in that and the average person and Novak? Does he defy that? Um, yeah. so this will just be another great data point. Yeah. See, I think the ascending contender needs to be playing theoretically better and proving, look at, he's mopping it up. He's winning matches in straight sets. He's charging through the fields and the longstanding champion. Yeah, we get it. He plays his way into it. Drop a set, do it, this, do it, that. And he know but he knows how to find his form towards that, towards that pinnacle near the end of the tournament. And and so, because because it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter who necessarily entirely who's who's playing better because they're only playing versus who they're playing. You know, it's not golf. It's not golf where they're where where one guy has been shooting sixty eight and the other guy is shooting seventy one, and now they're in the final day and they're each you know a certain score. So it really does it really don't mean much that you know it's kind of like it's one of the things I have a problem with certain statistics because you can almost had your stat resume yeah you played this guy and you aced him 42 times this guy with a terrible return or whatever you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's like so it doesn't mean your st your stats have not been and that's true in all sports your stats have not been gathered versus similar opponents so what's it all mean anyway now like for example if sinner had played let's say he had two five setters would he be tired would he be playing poorly would he have struggled or do you think, look at him, he's battle tested. He fought those great matches and he got, and who were they versus? If he had a, if he, if he played number 85 sets, oh, he got through Sasha in five sets. Look at this guy. So. That, that's why in data science, I think the largest possible, um, you know, 
thing that you have to look at, the, the largest possible sample size, that was the word I was looking for, to look at the better, because then that will weed out over time that guy who was a bad returner that you had 42 aces again. Because after years and years and years and years, you do start to see trends. And the great thing about Djokovic is that he has played for two decades, you know, and, and it's it's fantastic to be able to study someone this great well look the, the, the trend the trend is that Djokovic doesn't lose after he gets past the quarterfinals at the Australian Open that's, that's the trend, trend. Um, that's a trend that's a trend I think it's even more than a trend it's a freaking fact <laughs> even, there was not even like a, a hmm, it's a notion it's it appears to be the case you know if there were systematic issues in Djokovic's game happening right now then I would say, okay, yeah, like maybe that form does matter. But when there's an illness that's clearly getting a little bit better because there's more and more energy, it seems, every round, when there's a forehand that is now back to normal after it wasn't quite right, if you look at the the sets that Fritz was competitive in, it had to do with like horrific, horrifically improbable breakpoint failures in terms of conversion in addition to really, really bad first serve percentages, two things that statistically they're, they're very unlikely to happen again. Um, and that's why, like, I, I love the, it's not golf thing, Joel, mm -hmm. two days it's from not now, cumulative. <laughs> no, they're going to take two days off and take the court in the Australian open semifinal two days from now. I don't think that the form is gonna matter it's it's just a new match you know yeah i mean i love the stuff you said about novak you know i think he's he's bequeathed us so much data i mean can we apply for a grant <laughs> yeah could i <laughs> melbourne journey and you just do so it's it's how many matches it's 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 um i don't, I don't know how many matches he played there by now and he just won his 33rd straight so he's tied a record with monica sellis and uh yeah to study so just look at the whole totality of this whole body of work and then we can do and then we can apply for the nadal grant right and <laughs> see what, what 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 defines dominance who's you know? writing the checks joel well no that's why you got <laughs> that's why you have to find the grants yeah does this remind you guys at all the thought just popped in my head of alcaraz at roland garros um I don't know if, I don't know, I guess maybe last year, just in terms of this is the first time I think anyone is really looking at Sinner and in, and then also Sinner is probably looking at himself as uh, as someone who, who should be competitive, maybe win this match, maybe, maybe could win the Australian Open. I don't think he's ever come into a major with people looking at him that way. I think we have to look at the arcs of the players, their careers, and then the respective slam. Alcarez Novak at Roland Garros had a lot to it of Carlos having won the U.S. Open, having already beaten Novak, the significance of Roland Garros. See, I think our our sense of Roland Garros as a significant venue is different than Australia. We don't. This event you is. The, you think the players see them? I. I oh no, I no, I'm not players... talking about the significance of winning it. I'm talking about the long-term equity accrued by what the event's significance. No, I think the players are just as eager to win the Australian as they are to win Roland Garros. But what we all attach to Roland Garros, Nadal wasn't there, the, the clay, this is more 
this is a little more like sinner, a little more low key. This has a lot less, you know, um, bells and whistles. This is tennis. This is sinner. And, you know, Alcaraz, ha Alcaraz had that generational thing and he'd won the U.S. Open and taken the number one ranking. Sinner is just like if Sinner doesn't win, if Sinner gets beaten three, three and three. OK, you're still not there yet, young man. It's OK. okay. If Novak had beaten Alcaraz three, three and three in Roland Garros, that's a statement, a major state, a bigger statement. You won the U.S. Open, you finished the year number one. I beat you at Roland And that was a major statement when Novak beat him at Roland Garros despite all the attached stuff. That was a statement. And then and then on we go to Wimbledon. But Sinner's not quite there, and neither is the Australian Open. The players, you're right, the players, yeah, Australia, they're, they're in their present moment. Roland Garros, Melbourne, whatever. But I think that the bigger, the context of the game, yeah, it's Melbourne, it's January. Okay, we'll see. Well, I, I think you're right that there is a difference. Alcaraz, Roland Garros, literally the favorite to win it. Sinner, He's still an underdog here. He's not, right. he's not the favorite. So it, it is, I, I think you're right, Joel. It is different. Still a little bit. I still think the nerve management is going to decide this match. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. Sure. Well, because... no, but that, that's a huge compliment to center, isn't it? Because usually I don't think it's nerve management against Novak. Usually I think it's skills, right? Fritz doesn't lose to Novak because of nerve management. He loses to Novak because ability, skill. They're tied together. Nerve management and skills are tied together. You know, like if I my nerves are well managed, I can execute the forehand the way I want to. You know what I mean? It's sort of a melange. My yeah, but, no, but yeah, when my serves get flung back, I'm I'm not nervous, but I'm not relaxed. Well, well, here's the thing: nerve management can only allow you to play how to the best of your abilities, right? They can't make you play better than you can play. They can just make you play your game. And hopefully they don't completely screw up your game and you're playing terrible, right? That's, that's nerve management. Nerve, but So what I'm saying is Fritz can have perfection nerve management. It doesn't matter if Novak plays well. The if game, Sinner, if Sinner... It's a connected game. It's a relationship game. I mean, you're right about nerve management. You're relaxed. But I think... I think seeing your big serve come back repeatedly makes you more nervous about the other shots you have to hit. And it kind of, I see, I'm with Amy on this melange, bouillabaisse, whatever you want to call yeah, it, yeah. This phase of, of the game. It's not as simple as, okay, I'm in the happy place, just play my game, and now I execute. You got this other guy to deal with that he, I mean, Novak's genius is compromising your nervous system. Yeah, and, yeah. and players definitely get more nervous when they're facing Novak, and there's an throughout. aura, there's a reputation. But oh, no, throughout, throughout, not just prior. I'm talking about throughout. That's what you do. That's how you beat a guy who serves as well as Taylor Fritz, three and two, the last. You set all, and you pretty much dust him off the last two sets, and he's 10 years younger than you. That's, that's kicking his nervous system, too. Right, but I don't think Taylor had issues with his nerves in that match. I think he, he played his best. We need to talk well, about nerves. Yeah, he did. Yeah, right. I have skills, nerves. It's all of, I, I think it's all part of what makes the game incredible. Gil, I think nerve management too, though, is just, it's sort of a construct that we've labeled it. That sort of mental aspect of it is on a spectrum. 
what about not only managing your nerves to a point where your nerves aren't bothering you, but what about managing your nerves to a point of peak performance where you've, you've used your energy to play yourself into a zone, even above your, your normal baseline? Yeah, I think there's a balance there. I, all players are a little, a little on edge, right? Naturally, in a big match. So everybody, sure. Yeah, but but you can't play above. Like for example, Taylor Fritz can never be as fast as Alcaraz. He can have the greatest nerve management of all time ever in history, and he will always be slower than Carlos Alcaraz. That's just one example. So the the point I'm making, the the point I'm trying to make is. For Fritz, I'm saying it doesn't matter how well he manages his nerves. There are certain limitations there. For Sinner, I think the limitations really mostly aren't there. And the nerve management, therefore, comes into focus because if he if he plays his best um, under pressure, I think he's going to be a massive problem. But I question his ability to do that because he hasn't really been in these moments well, that's the exciting part. See, the reason I think people get drawn to a sinner because he's continuing to improve, we don't know what his peak is. And with certain players, we start to feel whether it's true or not, like Tsitsipas. There's a sense I'm wondering now, have we seen the best of him? Is there more of his, is there more better to come? I'm. Uh, is there? Can there be yet more? Can there be yet more to his peak? And I think the excitement of a young contender, that's why people, we always like these Sinner, Alcrez, and then about three or four years in, we say, well, looks like this guy's pretty much, this is what he's pretty much got. And, and but we don't know that. And the excitement of Sinners, we don't know. We haven't seen, we can't begin to see what his peak is yet. We start to wonder, like with Taylor Fritz, have we seen the very best of what he is? Or is there more, again, is there more yet better from him to come? And it's skills and it's nerves and it's matchups. It's it's all the things that make the game so friggin' compelling and difficult. As an optimist, I tend to think that the potential of any of these elite players is almost unlimited. But they, and, and this was brought up in the commentary on the Sinner uh, Rublev match, they have to be willing to adapt and change and, and be flexible and learn new skills and even within a match maybe change and adapt um, and that really unlocks the potential of of what you know some of these players can be including someone like Tsitsipas I talked to a pro a former pro once and he told me like when he was playing the 70s 80s he knew when he turned when he started playing pro and he was about 20 21 he kept doing things and he had another burst of improvement at 25 through 28 mm -hmm that got him to play even better tennis. But that was about what they could afford to stay in the game. Now you just look, look at Manorino. I'm not I'm not saying Manorino is going to win a Grand Slam, but look how much more good tennis he's played in the last year than he might have played three years before that. So I'm thinking there can be now, with all the things that go on in fitness and money and being able to afford to be out there, there might be three waves of 21, of 25, of 28, of 32. So... That's where I don't know, like, we don't know how good someone necessarily can be or what their peak is. What about right now, though? Do we know how good Sinner is right now? Oh, no, we don't. That's the best way to watch him play. 
That's the thing. We, yeah. Good is an outcome. The match is a process. We'll we'll have we'll learn a lot. That's what's fun about we these matchups. We're going to learn a lot, and we we were we were keen for a lot prior to that Roland Garros semi with, and and it kind of we learned something that no one had banked on learning. Wow, Carlos, energy management. Hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, that's yeah. I you're right. We are going to learn a lot, and. Those three matches that they played at the end of the year, even though the year-end championship final is a very, very significant one, that little trilogy they had will be trounced by whatever this result is, right? That's right. And now, look, speaking of, look what we learned. Look at Medvedev last year. Uh, Alcaraz beats him handily at Indian Wells and at Wimbledon, and then Medvedev plays a great match for the U.S. Open. And, mm -hmm. and that's a career-changing match for Medvedev. That doesn't mean it means he's going to go on to win six slams. I have no idea, but look at that. Djokovic was extremely aggressive at the ATP Finals. Now, indoors, very quick conditions. I'm curious to see if he copy-pastes that kind of game plan because, I mean, he just went nuclear on his forehand, tried to go hard in his center's forehand. He didn't want Yannick to dictate. He wanted Yannick to defend, 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 defend. I wonder if he tries that again um, on in Rod Laver Arena, or if if the if the game plan for for Novak looks a little bit different. Um, but I think there's a lot of unpredictability here. I don't know, I don't know how this goes. I don't know where the player who's going to win finds their edge. Again, my my hunch is performing under pressure in the key moments and getting tight. And I, I that's where that's what I think the difference is going to be. But other than that. A lot of questions in my head. So, Amy, um, any final thoughts on how you think this might go down? I see tiebreakers in my head, or at least a tiebreaker, um, especially with the way these two guys have been serving. Uh, yeah, Gil, like, that, that's a really great point. Will he copy and paste some things that have been successful for him in the past? He might. He might. He, he might not come out of the gate that way. He may pull that out if he thinks he needs a, a change in strategy. Um, you might see it for a little while, but not later in the match. Um, and that's the great beauty of Novak. Um, he has so many tools and strategies and tactics available to him. He uses the fall. It's funny. It reminds me of when he beat Medvedev with the serve volley in the Paris. And there's like the fall is his little, his skunk works, little, little lab test indoors, fast surface, try this. And, and you know, kind of a vignette, like a short story. Now we're at the slam. Now it's a novel. Now it's the whole thing. I'll tell you this. I don't think he's going to be, he didn't seem to panic at all about letting 15, losing 15 break points against Taylor Fritz and being set off. Yannick Sinner, I'd feel a little more frustrated if I didn't win one of 15 break points against Yannick Sinner with a guy who serves and backs it up like that. That might be a little more, who's beaten me before. Remember, wasn't he 8-0 um, with Fritz prior to yes. that? I, so that 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 helps to you know you just use all we we all use all data in our favor. That's the tennis player logic. <laughs> I joke. It's like I say, I'm, I don't put much stock in one set unless I win it. <laughs> so absolutely. So anyway, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be uh, interesting. I agree with Amy. At least one tiebreaker. Where I don't know, and I, I it's gonna be that's gonna be one great match to watch. All right. Well, we'll be with you on the back of that match uh, whether we have a final to preview or not as well is uh, is yet to be seen that'll do it for this episode of three remember we're available on all podcast platforms 
appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, please do like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of 3.